0: We're uh, in week six of seven on revivals and Scripture and history, and typically we take a passage of Scripture. Most Sundays we take a passage and we look at it, we walk through it, we ask what did it say to them, whether it's the Old Testament or the New Testament, what is the Lord saying to us through His Word? And I just want us to think about this for a moment, Scripture is story, Scripture is narrative. Scripture is story about who God is and what God has done throughout history and so today we 're actually going to we 're going to look at some scripture, but I want us to look at a really important story about what God was doing about a hundred years ago in los angeles we 're going to look at the Azusa Street Revival, but i don 't want it to be. In any way, kind of a deviation from the written story at all. God continues to write his story. Listen to what Psalm 78 says, and I want us to think about this as we look at the Azusa Street Revival of 1906. Listen to what the psalmist says We will not hide them from our children, the works of God. We will tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. Why? That the next generation might know them. The children yet unborn and rise up and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God. So that's what we're doing today. We've recounted, we've looked at when the Lord moves in power in scripture And we're taking a few Sundays. Today we're going to look at this Azusa Street revival of 1906 to 1909. And the next week we're going to look at the Jesus People movement. When the Lord saved a bunch of hippies in the 1960s and 70s. And again, this is the word of our testimony, friends. We love scripture. We love the word of God. We immerse ourselves in the word of God. And we also immerse ourselves in stories of the last 100 or 200 years the same God working in the same ways. So today we're going to, to look at this revival story in Los Angeles. I'm going to give a little bit of context quickly. I'm going to give you some backstory on this man that the Lord chose named William J. Seymour to lead and facilitate this revival. And then we're going to look, spend most of our time looking at the events that happened during the revival and the ripple effects of that revival this week, I've been spending time with some of the recent historians and scholars who've been writing on this, and I just I couldn't do this without them. There's a, a book by Vincent Sinan and Charles Fox Jr. called William Seymour, Pioneer of the Azusa Street Revival. came out in 2012. It's an amazing book. And then there's a, a scholar named Gaston Espinoza who has written a book called William Seymour and the Origins of Global Pentecostalism. And these are groundbreaking works. And what is happening right now is people are looking back to this gentleman named William Seymour, 1906, and they're saying that what happened in that moment was as important if not more important than what was going on with Martin Luther King, Jr that this leader is actually one of the most significant black leaders in American history, and he's often been overlooked. And so what we're doing today is we're calling attention to the Lord Jesus, who chose this man at the beginning of the 20th century and said, I'm going to use him to usher in a revival, a move of God, an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that would change history and lead to 550,000 Pentecostals and Charismatics worldwide. This is staggering history that we're looking at. Very shortly here, uh, the context, I want us to ponder this. 1906, the beginning of the 20th century, was an intense time for the church. I mentioned last week when we, looked at the Enlighten- uh, when we looked at the Great Awakening that there was this move across Europe that spilled into America called the Enlightenment, and there were good things In the Enlightenment. Jay Barnett and I were talking about this. There were wonderful things that happened about human rights and about law and various things, but there were also some downsides with this move called the Enlightenment. And one of them was the way that it began to pick apart Christianity, Judaism, and other religions. And it began to seek to replace religion with human reason. And actually, there was a symbolic act that happened 100 years before William J. Seymour in Paris, in Notre Dame. Listen to what they did. They set up the goddess of human reason in the church. And they said, we don't need this outdated idea of God. We have human reason. We have Sophia, we have our own way of thinking and moving through the world. And so this kind of sets the context for uh, William J. Seymour and what was going on. There were others, Uh, a guy named Warfield was at Princeton, Benjamin Warfield, and he wrote a book called Counterfeit Miracles. And he was arguing very effectively that God didn't do miracles anymore. That with the death of the apostles and the giving of scripture, the closing of the canon, there were no more miracles. And so especially in the American context Christians began to be convinced God doesn't speak anymore the gifts have ceased and this sets the stage for William J Seymour A little bit about him William J Seymour was born in 1870 to two former slaves in Centerville Louisiana and he had seven siblings and they grew up in abject poverty on a small farm. Uh, Seymour, it was in Louisiana, and so the Catholic Church was pervasive. He was baptized, a Roman Catholic, as a young man. And so he was raised in the Catholic Church. He had a few years of education, not much. He could read and write with difficulty until later in life. And when he was about 25 years old, he decided that he wanted to leave the South and join what was called the Great Migration and move north. He and other black Americans saw opportunity in the north that wasn't opening to them in the south. So he moved to Indianapolis in 1896, and it was there that William J. Seymour became a Christian in a black Methodist Episcopal church, and he continued his migration through the north, ended up in Cincinnati, Ohio. He was 30 years old and he contracted smallpox. It's hard to see in this picture up here, but in his left eye, he lost his vision due to smallpox and he was greatly scarred. And so he grew a beard to cover up some of the the scarring. He knew uh, great suffering. He was introduced in Cincinnati to holiness theology. There were groups of people in the church and he went to a Bible school and he learned about the idea that God is holy and that God calls His people to walk in holiness. He began to feel a pull to study for full-time ministry. Not only was he a Christian, but he wanted to give himself to that. And he began to see something in Cincinnati that fascinated him. He saw people, Christians, being racially inclusive. Whites and blacks worshiping together. It was novel to him, he hadn't seen anything like it. He ended up hearing about something going on in Houston, so he moved to Houston, Texas at age 33 and uh, struck up friendships, His reputation began to spread a little bit. His zeal, his love for God, his love for the scriptures. And he was invited by a woman that knew someone in Houston. And they said, hey, Seymour, why don't you come out to Los Angeles? So William J. Seymour, in 1906, went to this small holiness church at the corner of Ninth and Santa Fe in Los Angeles, the poor part of town. And he was welcomed there by a group of enthusiastic people who had heard about him, heard about the holiness message that he was looking into, and they were hungry for God. These people were ravenous for God. And so, William Seymour preached that first day in 1906 on Acts 2:4. thought we could read that together. It's a passage we've looked at recently, and we look at it often. This is the text that William Seymour preached from, Acts 2-4. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. What was interesting is Seymour had not experienced that before. He had seen the Spirit of God move, but he was looking at the Bible saying, where is this gift? He didn't even speak in tongues. He had experienced some touches from the Holy Spirit, but he had not been filled with the Holy Spirit in the way that the book of Acts talked about. Unfortunately, the person who invited him to come and speak at the church didn't like his message, said, this is too radical. So you know what they did? They put a padlock on the church building and locked him out. So the next Sunday he went to preach part two of Acts 2-4, there was a padlock on the door. Some other people gathered there, another couple from the church, and they said, you know what? Why don't you come to our house and let's continue part two, Seymour. So this famous place at 214 Bonnie Bray Street in Los Angeles, Richard and Ruth Asbury invited Seymour to come and talk further about the holiness message, about being saved by Jesus and filled with his spirit And on April 9th, 1906, the historians say the fire fell. The fire fell on that little house with a group of people inside there. It was at this point black Christians, and the story was going to change shortly after this. The address ended up becoming later 216, but this is 214 Bonnie Bray Street, in, 20, in uh, 1906. Now what happened quickly, very quickly, is that house got packed. Several dozen people jammed into that house and it was too much for the Asbury's to host. And so they did what most logical people did and they took it outside. So Seymour would stand on that porch and preach. And guess what, friends? Hundreds gathered. Hundreds of people Gathered in front of that house. God was up to something. And people would get saved in that yard and on the sidewalk. And there's accounts of drunk guys walking by and There would be 75, 100, 150 people gathered and Seymour would be preaching salvation in Jesus and the grace of God and the Holy Spirit would fall on those drunk men and they would fall on their faces in the yard and get saved and filled with the Holy Spirit and it began to happen day after day after day. Poor people, the front porch collapsed. There were so many people gathered around this house and at one point Seymour was up there with a ministry team and the whole porch gave way and collapsed. So they said, we have got to find another venue, another place where we can take this move of God. So they moved to Azusa Street, 312 Azusa Street and Seymour took it to another level. They were so hungry for more of God. He called a 10-day fast. And the people began to fast and pray. And they had people coming who had experienced the Welsh revival with Evan Roberts in 1904. And they began to say, God is up to something similar here. The sovereign presence of God has descended in this neighborhood. And God is up to something. And we want to cooperate. At this point, dozens, dozens of people were coming into the faith and being filled with the Holy Spirit Lots of details on the history here. This is fascinating. I, I think there was a the first woman to speak in tongues at the Azusa Street Revival um, named Jenny Evans Moore. She was speaking it out, and people that were there discerned her speaking in Spanish, French, Latin, Greek, and other languages. And apparently she had a little bit of training in her piano playing, but the Spirit of God would come on her, and she would lead worship. And it was magnificent. Seymour ended up being filled with the Holy Spirit on April 12th, and I want us to think about this for a moment here. Professor Espinoza, I mentioned his book earlier, listen to what he says here. These events attracted a growing throng of curious and spiritually hungry washerwomen, cooks, laborers, janitors, ministers, and housewives. More miraculously, it seemed to outsiders, blacks and whites were worshiping together. I want us to think about this for a moment. Seymour was, had seen something in Cincinnati. He saw Christians coming together, black and white, and he began to create context for that. While this is happening in Los Angeles, think about this for a moment. In Springfield, Missouri, at the same time in the United States, three black men were lynched. Five months later, the Atlanta race riots happened, among the worst in U.S. history, and left 25 black people dead and two white citizens dead over the clash. And yet God is doing this in Los Angeles concurrently at the same time. Let that sink in for a moment. This is something that Seymour saw in Scripture. He didn't come up with it. He saw it in the Word of God. He read passages like Galatians 3.28 that says this, There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And they began to worship and Proclaim this and live it in astounding ways there in that dilapidated building off of Azusa Street. Seymour and others read passages like this. Revelation 7, 9 through 11 says this. They were having a vision of what was happening around the throne that John the Apostle talks about this. After this, I looked, and there was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples, And languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, robed in white with palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. So Seymour is seeing this play out, this unity in Jesus. While other things are happening in the United States, he is pointing Christians to Scripture and saying, That is not the Lord's heart. The Lord's heart is unity in Christ. The Lord's heart is that one day all nations, all tribes, all languages will stand before God and worship together as one people. Seymour is doing this in 1906. It is a glorious thing. Some historians are saying now that from 1906 to 1909, when this was happening, that spirit-filled Christians were modeling the race answer a generation before equal rights occurred. This was happening because of what God was doing in this building, 312 Azusa Street. I want us to look at the slide again of 312 Azusa Street. It had been an African Methodist Episcopal Church It was a stable and warehouse with a dirt floor. It was two levels. The lower level was 60 by 40. And apparently it stunk like horses still. And people began to come to this place, 312 Azusa Street, from all over the world. It was regular. It was common that they would have 20 nations represented in the room. 20 nations. They had Chinese and Russian and European. I mean, the the place was packed all the time because of what God was doing. Some people, you can actually find some eyewitness testimony of folks that were some of the ones who visited, and they said it reminded them of the manger, that the Lord chose this small, dilapidated place that smelled like animals to visit yet again for him to exalt His son Jesus. So, what happened there from 1906 to 1909 has fascinated historians for decades. They met three times a day, seven days a week, for three years straight. And apparently, the doors were open 24 hours a day. So, if you were in need of prayer, Again, many people in the neighborhood were coming in and getting set free, having demons cast out, getting set free from alcoholism, various things. I'm gonna read this quote. uh, Dr. Sinan, one of the great historians of the Azusa Street Revival says this, the revival at Azusa Street under Seymour's leadership stood in opposition to the racism and segregation of the times as blacks and whites worship together under a black pastor. Frank Bartleman, a white Azusa participant, captured the spirit of this historic meeting by these words, the color line was washed away in the blood. There was a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit and Seymour was God's chosen leader at this critical time in history. Powerful." Things were happening. I want to share just a couple of other things before we take communion. The services I mentioned three times a day, seven days a week, they would usually have a brief testimony. Someone would share briefly about what was happening, how God had saved them, filled them with the Holy Spirit, ongoing testimonies, and then Seymour or one of the others from the team would read scripture, give a brief little message on. Something basic, and apparently Seymour loved to preach salvation in Christ and holiness over and over and over again. So right in the midst of this revival, he was urging people to receive Jesus by faith and be filled with the Holy Spirit. There were regular conversions. And after these services, blacks, whites, Mexicans, Swedes, Irish, English, Russians, Armenians, Chinese, South Asians, and others would go upstairs into the upper room for more To wait on God. Why are we looking at this? I think the Lord wants to do something similar with bringing us together here in the Bible Belt in Oklahoma. The government doesn't have a corner on diversity and bringing people together. As a matter of fact, they muck it up oftentimes. I was in academic circles where we would have forced diversity workshops all the time. The Lord has the answer. The Lord brings people together. It's the spirit of God. As it's being demonstrated in the Azusa Street Revival, the Lord brings people together from the nations. They worship. We get a foretaste of the age to come, and then they're launched all over the world. I wish we had time, but we don't. Um, one of the key themes here, we can look at this later, but Seymour loved 1 Peter 1:13 through 15. And at verse 15, it says, He who called you is holy. Be holy yourselves in all your conduct. For it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And so Seymour was consistently calling people to holiness, to surrender, to consecration. Give yourself to the Lord. He wants you to share in his holiness. There were other things that happened. One last thing, and we'll end with this. Manifestations of the Holy Spirit and miracles. They had the first two healings here. One was a a Mexican-American day worker. He came into the meeting, couldn't walk, And during the meeting, he began to walk up and down the aisle until gradually he ceased to limp. The man realized that he had been healed and he began shouting, hallelujah. He knelt at the altar and received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. By 1909, the walls of Azusa were covered with canes and braces because the God of miracles was healing people. Lord, this is our legacy. Friends, this is our heritage. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Unfortunately, the revival ended roughly 1909, but for those three years, heaven came to the earth. The kingdom was manifest, and we get to read about it and learn from it and long again. Why don't we stand Brad's going to lead us in communion, but before that, I just want to respond to this. Lord, we ask for you to move again, whatever was in Seymour and his team, we ask you would put it in us, a longing for your presence, a longing for you to move, a longing for you to heal, bring people together in the way that only you can. We love you, Lord. We thank you for the word of God, and we thank you for the story that you continue to write. We pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.